33 through 36. And as you're turning there, the title is, of course, Where to Start. We look at the text this morning. Let's start by this illustration as we look into it. Have you ever had a project that was just so big, you just didn't know where to start? You ever had a bedroom that's supposed to be an office but ends up a storage place? You ever had a garage that was bent for cars but now there's so much stuff in there you can't park cars? There you go. This happened to me just yesterday. We have a shed. And I spent more time looking for a tool than I needed to be because it was so unorganized. It's a mess. And <laughs> you haven't been there, but thank you for the encouragement. Uh, <laughs> and you go looking for something, it drives you crazy because you can't find it. And you know it will be better when you finally get it organized and cleaned out. But it hasn't been done yet. You procrastinate about it, and I'm guilty of that. Because in order to clean it out and get it organized, you have to get started. But getting started is a chore. It's such a mess because you don't know where to start. Many times, that is the way it is in our Christian walk. It's easy to see all the messed up stuff around us, and we can see all the work that needs to be done. If we open our eyes, we can see how bad things are. We can see all the people that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can see all the kids that have no hope. It's like we're standing in the middle of that storage room, that the old bedroom or that shed or that garage, and we see all this mess, but we just get overwhelmed because there's so much of it. Where in the world do we get started? We turn off the light a lot of times. We close the door because we'll wait for a better time. I'll do it later. It'll be a better time to do this. Here's one will come back to bite me. I know I told Tammy yesterday, I'm going to wait till it cools off. I'm going to clean out and organize the shed. Now it's on record. Will I actually do that when it gets cooled off, which will be sometime in, what, November? Because this is Texas. But really, there's not a better time to do it, is there? Because we just keep putting it off. Now, we look into our text this morning, it'd be easy for Ezra to feel the same way. He had just brought the second remnant back on a thousand-mile journey. It had been hard, it had been difficult, it was demanding. And in verse 31, we will see that it states that the hand of God was upon them. He provided for them and their safety and delivered them to Jerusalem. And in verse 32, it says they stayed there for three days. That's all it says. Our text begins on the fourth day, but I wonder what happened during those three days. It doesn't really say, but think about the circumstances in which they find themselves. The temple was built, but the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. A lot of the buildings, if not all of them, were in ruins at that time. So I wonder if they walked around that rubble wondering where in the world do we start? He saw the city in ruins and people in complacency. Can you just picture him walking around in all that rubble, thinking about where in the world they need to start? That's where we're at here this morning. That's where we're at. We have been walking around in the rubble long enough. Been shaking our heads, wondering where to start long enough. This COVID has really shaken us as a country. 
And as individuals to our core to some degree. Because it's so overwhelmed, where do we start? Where is it going to end? Well, brothers and sisters, we have the answer. We know what needs to be done. We need to quit shaking our heads about it and get busy and get started. So if we're like Ezra in that way, standing around going, it's so overwhelming, where do we start? Then we need to look what Ezra did to prepare. And in our text, we will see three ways in which he prepared himself to get started, and we'll look at a way to apply it to our lives. So look at our text this morning, Ezra chapter 8, verse 33. Remember in verse 32, they came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. And in verse 33, it says, On the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the utensils were laid out in the house of our God, into the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest, and with him was Eliza, the son of Phineas, and with him the Levites, Joazbed, the son of Jeshua, and Nobada, the son of Binu. Verse 34, everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. The exiles who come from captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all of Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, twelve male goats for a sin offering, all as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors and the process in the provinces beyond the river, and they supported the people and the house of God. So what do we see first? We see, first of all, that Ezra prepared as he got started. He started in the temple. Verse 33 and 34 talk about all the gold and the silver they had brought with them from Babylon. And because of the tremendous value those things had, they were all accounted for. And despite that long journey, the first thing he did was take it to the temple. It was accounted for, resulting in the temple being thoroughly stocked. Whether it was stocked with furnishings or just simple gold and silver, we do not, we do not know. But here's the point. He went to the temple and got the temple prepared and ready. In verse 35, he prepared the people's hearts. A great bird offering they made. Notice who the offering was for. Look into the text. It was for all the people. All the multiples of 12 signify the 12 tribes of Israel. They, the sacrifices and burnt offerings were made as a sin offering. They were made as a blood sacrifice so that the people's hearts will be cleansed before the Lord. So he prepared the temple by stocking it. He prepared the people's hearts by cleansing them. And one more preparation he had to do. Verse 36. Sounds kind of funny, but be prepared in the world. What did he do? He handed out the king's decrees to the local authorities. In other words, he submitted to the king's authority. He took out that message to the rest of them. Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God honored that. He took that letter out from the king like he was directed. And we read later that those same kings around that area, even past the river Euphrates, contributed and helped support them. Getting started requires preparation. And we can see this in the text. Ezra did it. And just like Ezra, we know what our mission is. Remember his mission back in chapter 7, verse 10? He is to seek God's will. He is to do God's will. He is to teach God's will. 
And just like Ezra, we know as believers that the good hand of our God is upon us. Do you believe that this morning? Oh, come on. We believe God is with us. He has a mission. He'll support us and provide for us. And just like Ezra, we can get overwhelmed by the task that remains before us. See, Ezra saw a broken down wall. We see a broken down society. He saw houses in ruins. We see lives in ruins. He saw complacency, satisfaction, and apathy. And we see the very same thing. So we need to prepare, just like Ezra did. We need to prepare in the temple. The gold and the silver, Ezra stocked God's house with. They're the resources that were needed to do the work of the ministry. Now, having gold and silver here would be nice, but that's not primarily how we need to be stocked or provided for. In fact, if all we're doing is stockpiling gold and silver in our day and age would be money, financial resources. All we're doing is stockpiling and putting it away from rainy day that we're not using it the way we're supposed to. When God blesses us with financial resources, he intends for us to use them. The resources of this, lock, this local body are things like leaders, servants, and workers. The tragic thing is many times that's where we stop. We think those things make us a church. But getting our house prepared for growth and preparation is this one step. We must go further. What's the next one? Just like in the text, we need to prepare our hearts. Ezra prepared the hearts of the people by offering sacrifices and burnt offerings. But because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest, we don't have to make those kind of sacrifices anymore because he shed his blood on our behalf. We no longer need a priest to offer animal blood for us because Jesus paid it once and for all, aren't you thankful for that? But instead of an animal sacrifice, it does require sacrifice, self-sacrifice. That's our personal preparation to make self-sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, listen, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That means it's not about us anymore. It's about him. What does he want? We have a business meeting scheduled after this service. And we use the word vote. In reality, we're not voting like the world votes. We're saying, yes, this is the will of God for this church. We talked about issues among ourselves. We've been praying about them. And now we're going to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and discern what God's will is for this body. But here's the thing. Baptist churches, and I'm going to pick on Southern Baptist churches because I am one. We've gotten ourselves a lot of trouble. Because 
people consider themselves members, but they never darken the door. So let me ask you this. How do you discern God's will for your life, your personal life? Well, you pray, you read scripture, you talk to other believers. How do you know what the will of God is for the church? Well, first you have to show up to see what's going on. How can I come into a church and say, I know what God's will is for the church if I've never darkened the door? If I don't know what's going on? If I don't see what's happening? We have to be a part. We have to be a part of the local body. And sometimes that means we have to sacrifice. You know, the biggest thing you're sacrificing right now, just bear with me, is time. Time is more precious than money or silver or gold. You know why? You only have so much of it. Once it's gone, you ain't getting it back. Why do you think companies pay you per hour? Because they're taking the most precious resource you have is time. Our days are numbered. We only have so much time. So it'd be a, a servant of God means I have to give up one of the most precious resources I have, my time. We need to prepare by offering ourselves a a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to Jesus. That means we must daily lay aside our selfishness, our personal preferences, our complacency, and our comfort. That means we have to put them down at the altar and burn them before the Lord daily. You know why you call this an altar, by the way? I'm not up here sacrificing animals or anything. We call this an altar which is probably not the best word, but we refer to it as an altar because this is where we lay our life down. This is where we come before God and say, God, here it is. Here's all, here's my life. Here's all my possessions. Everything you've given me, God, I turn it back over to you. You use it as you will. That's what we must do. We have to do that. We have to empty ourselves so we can be filled with the Spirit, not superficially, and that's not easy. You know, in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us not to get drunk with wine. But he'd rather get drunk with the Holy Spirit. What happens when you get drunk? Now, that's a loaded question. Let me go around the room with open mic and find out. But when, when someone gets drunk, they lose all their inhibitions. They act stupid and crazy and do things they wouldn't normally do. Can we agree on that? So the alcohol now has, you could say, taken over. And you're doing all this crazy stuff. But Paul says, don't do that. Rather... This is my words, be drunk with the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit now takes control. Live by His guidance, live by His direction. Because I know most of you in this room, has this happened to you? You're at Walmart or you're in the grocery store, whatever you're doing, and you have that, that small voice goes off. And you start arguing with yourself. Some of you may do it out loud, I don't know. I don't know, it's not a good time, they're busy, it's hot outside, they probably don't want to talk to me. And we start making all the excuses, don't we? It's probably the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, for you to move. And when he's doing that, he's not operating in a vacuum. He's already on the other side, probably preparing that person for the very words you're going to deliver. I found that to be true. When Tammy and I would go on a mission trip up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we go to these projects and knock on doors. And every single time we knock on the door and start talking to somebody about John 3.16 mission or talking about God, they're very receptive to it. The mission had built itself a great reputation. But here's my point. The Holy Spirit had gone before us and prepared the field. Does that mean every time everybody's going to open up the door and be nice to you? No. 
Some of them slam the door in your face. Remember, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And we need to pray for those individuals. That they'll be receptive and hear the message. We must continue to go out because we have to be faithful to the message. God doesn't hold us responsible for the results. Be faithful to the message. It requires us having the mind of Christ that we read about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind of Christ. Listen to what it says. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son, part of the Holy Trinity. I wondered, I wonder a lot, when we get to heaven and we see him in all his glory and splendor and majesty, and we see the the glory and the wonder of heaven, to think that he stepped out of that for me. So he humbled himself. He stepped off his throne. He came down to this earth. This place is pretty messed up, isn't it? But yet he, he came. But look how he came. Think about how he came. He didn't come as he deserved. He, didn't, he wasn't born in a hospital or a palace. He was born in a manger, in a feeding trough. And the shadow of all those big palaces that Herod had built. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, was born there. Shepherds came to his birth. And not only that, so he humbled himself, he was born that way, he, he took on human flesh. Jesus walked everywhere he went. He was still deity. He was still God, but he didn't use that for his advantage. He laid that aside. That's what the text is telling us. He laid that aside. Not one miracle did he do for himself. He always did it for somebody else. But then it says, hold on, he humbled himself again, what Philippians is telling us, by dying on the cross. Let me ask you something. I've asked you this many times before, but let's think about this again this morning. When you think of the death chamber down in Huntsville, what character people do you conjure up in your mind? Not very pleasant people, do you? The cross was a form of public execution reserved for criminals. If you're a Roman citizen, you were spared that type of death. It was humiliating. It was painful. The most slow, it was the slowest way to kill somebody. Here he is, stepping out of heaven, took on human flesh. He was a slave. He served everybody. He came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And now he laid his life willingly on that cross for you. And Philippians is telling us we have to have that same mindset. Wow. And I'll tell you right now, I fall mighty short of that. But you know that Romans passage? 
tells us what we have to do. Do not be conformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where the battle begins. Fill it with the things of God. Fill it with things above. It's true. What you feed your mind, you'll think about. TV, movies, all that. I like some of that stuff, too. It's a very powerful medium because it burns images in your brain and on your heart. We must read the Bible. We must constantly renew our minds. We have to have that mind of Christ. And that's a daily dying to self. Preaching by its very nature is dying to myself. It's not what Tim wants to say. It's not for Tim's applause. It's not for Tim to get a way to go. It's all about me dying to myself and raising Christ. So you see him, not me. So we have to prepare our hearts. And then we need to prepare in the world. And that's easy to do if we are already prepared in the local believer. We got our our facilities ready to go. If we're preparing our hearts like we're supposed to, it will be easy for people to take notice. They will notice what something's going on here. And when they, they see it, we can reach out to them and share the gospel with them. I've seen that happen. You know, COVID came. Well, we couldn't do Blast Kids anymore. We did drive through. And people thanked us for what we're doing. Now, we may not see fruit on this side of heaven, but seeds are being planted in this community. We have the authority of Christ. Now, Ezra, when he went, he had the authority of the king to go out and tell those other kings and leaders in the provinces around Jerusalem to help them. But we have the authority of Christ himself. Matthew 28. Now, you've heard 19 and 20 is a great commission. Many of you are very familiar with that. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. But do you remember what verse 18 says right above that? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. With that commission, authority, and power, our mission will be furthered. And when our mission goes forward, we'll be prepared. We don't need the permission of the government. We have the authority of Christ himself. See, the the power of the message is not in the messenger. It's rather who the message comes from. You know, back in way back, a, a choir would come out or a squire would come out and he would read, hear ye, hear ye, says the king. And then he would tell what the king says. So the message is not in that guy reading it. He's just reading what the king wants to pass on to the people. That's what we are. We're passing on the message. I'm not the author of this message. God is. The authority, therefore, lies with him. We have to really believe, and I wonder sometimes if we really believe it. Now, we say we do, but how come we don't practice it more? There's power in the word of God. There's power in it. You don't have to add to it. Don't take away from it. Just give them the word of God. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, the book of Hebrews tells us. There's power in it. Do we really believe that? Really, there's power in the gospel. Do we really believe that God can change human hearts and lives? Can God bring two people together that once were so far apart? See marriages resolved, families come together. Can he really do that? Yes, he can. I've seen him do it time and time again. But we have to be willing and let him do that. 
So let me ask you this. In light of all what we said already, what goes through your head when you look at what's going on in the world around us? When you go home and turn on news, what goes through your mind? Turn off the news, turn off the TV. What goes through your mind when you see what's going on in our country? The violence, the chaos, the hatred. Drugs, children abused and neglected all around us. False religions and the occult are growing like wildfire. All the politics involved in COVID-19. People around us who, who seem not even care about the Lord. Does it seem at times, and maybe even right now, you feel so overwhelmed. God, where do we begin? We begin just like Ezra did. If we expect growth, then we must prepare for growth. The old guy who thought he was praying for rain, he was so sure that God was going to give rain, he walked around with an umbrella all the time. Now, what would you do if you saw someone out in town this morning walking around with an umbrella? This, well, you could take shade from the heat. What are you doing? I was going to rain. Well, how do you know that? What do the other men say? <laughs> I just contradicted myself, didn't I? I shouldn't ask what the other men says. I should say what God says. <laughs> But he was so sure. And I know these times are difficult and they're they're a little hard, a little chaotic. We don't quite know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we have to continue to move forward and prepare. Just like Ezra did. And quit walking around shaking our heads. And what are we going to do? Do you feel like you're standing on that rubble pile with Ezra? How can we even make a dent, much less make a difference? Ever felt like that? Are you feeling like that even now as I speak? The good news, though, is the good hand of our God is upon us. We can do all things through Christ, which gives us strength. All we have to do is get prepared. Quit standing around on the rubble pile. Prepare this house. Prepare our hearts. And prepare the world. Are you preparing? Are you getting ready? Are you preparing this house by using the gifts God has given you to serve? Are you preparing your heart by allowing the Holy Spirit to purge out selfishness? Are you preparing the world by showing them the authority you live under? We need to be prepared for the task that lies before us. It's so overwhelming. We cannot do it apart from God. There is no way, no way at all. We've seen the glimpse of this already. We've seen it. God's given us snapshots so far since I've been at this church. We've seen it. Haven't we? We've seen it. So my encouragement to you is don't give up. But my challenge to you is always be prepared. Isn't that really the message of the gospel itself? Jesus said he doesn't know when he's coming back. The angels do not know. Only God the Father knows. So let me end you with this sobering fact. Actually, two facts. Two things you have no control over. There's lots of things. We like to think we have control, but we really don't. But there's two things we don't have control over. Number one, the time of our death here, physical death. Now, we can go to the doctor, and I think you should do that, take care of your body. But eventually, 
unless the Lord comes back before then, we're all going to die physically. But you don't know when that's going to happen. It's a cliche that the world uses, but it bears repeating now. If you knew that your life was going to end tomorrow, would you do anything different today that that you haven't done? How many times have we stood at a funeral service or memorial service and said, if I knew this was going to be the last time I saw them, I would have said, seize the day. Seize the moment. Number two, we don't have no control over, is when Jesus Christ is coming again. He will come like a thief in the night, the text tells us, when we least expect it. Boy, oh boy, that trumpet is going to blow, and that sky is going to be rolled back like a scroll, and the King of kings and Lord of lords will descend upon the earth, and at that point, every knee and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that great and terrible day of the Lord? Are we going out telling the world and asking people, are you ready? Giving them. I'm going to close with this. You know why people use drugs and alcohol and painkillers? You ever thought, why do people get hooked on this stuff? Take away the pain. The depression, the stress, they want escape. Oh, sure, they're escape for a little bit. But then reality slaps them against a really hard to face the next day. Because after all, if you get drunk or get behind the wheel, there's some bad things that can happen. They're looking for something to take the way the way the pain they're hurting. And they're out there jumping through hoops because the world keeps telling them, if you just do this, if you just do this, if you just do this, if you just buy this or buy that, your life will be complete and you'll be satisfied. It's like hanging a carrot tied to a stick in front of a mule or something, and all the mule thinks he's going to get it, but the carrot keeps moving. He can't figure it out yet. Or a dog chasing his tail, whatever analogy you want to use. And we're up there spinning around like that. You know who's laughing at us? Satan. Spin us on. But Jesus says, I am the truth and the way. Come to me, all that heavy laden, I shall give you rest. He provides what really what we're all looking for. Peace. Hope. Love. Acceptance. Grace. It's all there. And you don't have to do anything but step up and say, I want that. Please forgive me, God. I've broken all of it all. I've walked away from you, but here it all is. And it took me a long time, and I'm still learning this to some degree. Bear with me. Being a man, you want to be in control of everything. You want to fix everything. But learning there is true freedom and just letting go. Just let go. If I can trust God for my eternal destiny, I can, I can trust Him for every little minute detail in my life. Think about that for me. Think about creation. God only creates it, but He's keeping it going. He takes care of it. The sun rising this morning, the wind blowing, the rain, the planets, everything we can see with the physical eye to the microscopic things we cannot see, God's behind it, sustaining it all. If God can take care of all that, 
then he can take care of you. But once again, we have to let him. We have to let go. And that's scary, isn't it? Scared us with the let go. But I'm telling you, if you do that, there's freedom in it, and God will never let you down. I hope I never let you down as your pastor, but guess what? I'm a human being. I'm flawed. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I will let you down because I'm human. I try not to be. I try not to let you up. It's going to happen. But there's only one person that will never let you down, and that's God himself. He's never too busy. He never goes tired. He's never hungry. He's never away from his desk. He's always there. And for those of you who are believers in Christ, you've given your lives to Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior. Think about this for a second as we close out. There's no more favorite song that he loves to hear or voices he loves to hear than his redeemed people singing his praise. That one lost soul that comes home. The angels in heaven singing. The angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Over and over again. And can you imagine in that moment, God says, shh, someone just came home. Listen to that. That's the sweetest sound he loves to hear. He loves to hear his redeemed people sing his praises. What we did here this morning is simply rehearsal. Well, Tim, I can't sing. Bible says you don't have to sing. It says make a joyful noise. When you open up your heart and you let every worry, anxiety, preconceived notion or idea, you just finally let go and say, God, I, I just can't do it no more. When we truly let go as individuals and as a church, I mean truly let go and say, God, you got it. That's when God does his greatest work. You see it in history. Time and time again. I know these are difficult times, brothers and sisters, there's no doubt about it. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future in his hands. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just who you are. Father, may we always be in a state of preparation preparing to do your work, to let go of our personal preferences or anything that may be holding us up to serve you in this local body, to constantly be preparing our hearts, to have that mindset, that attitude that was in you, Jesus, and to go out into the world. Not for them just to hear our words, dear God, but to see our good works. You tell us in your word that if we do your works, your good works, they will glorify you in heaven. And Father, I pray this morning, anyone in this room or watching over there that needs to make a decision for you this morning, I pray that that will happen. You're much bigger than technology. You're much bigger than anything in this world. God, I know you're moving and I know you're working. And I pray that each of us will respond to it and that we would finally just let go and let you have your way. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought Safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Isn't it amazing that hymn was written so many years ago by a man? who experienced the grace of God in such a powerful way. And here we are, still singing that song today. What a testimony to the grace and the power of God. Glad you're here this morning. Pray for another. Send each other texts now and then. See how everybody's doing. Um, news is everything's changing. But remember, our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, after service, we'll be holding a business meeting about another five or ten minutes. So I have a time to, to fellowship with one another. And let's close out with prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would give your people the strength, the courage, the boldness, and the sermon as they go about their week. Um, Father, may you put people in our path and put circumstances around us that we can share your gospel with them, not just by words, dear God, but also by deeds. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Uh-huh.